depression has been a big part of my story. And, you know, the more I learn about myself and my family and my ancestry, I realize how big depression is to my lineage. You know, I'm half black and I'm half Palestinian, both cultures that come from slavery, both cultures that have to deal with resilience, both cultures that have dealt with fighting to be seen and be heard and having to suppress and and look over things. People are hurting. We're all finding our own ways to cope. And we all have different life experiences and have met different people who have helped inform us, teach us, or direct us as we grow and heal. Welcome to The Safe Haven, a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life. Matthew Hayes has so many layers to his story, from navigating depression and his own identity through pain and trauma, He's grown and he's designed a life that aims to help others move forward from a place of compassion. Matt has learned how to name his own narratives and patterns and helped others to do the same. He highlights the detrimental patterns that so many of us have fallen into that prevent us from being the best versions of ourselves. Matt and I had a fabulous chat a few weeks ago and again pre-recording about healing journeys and whether or not it's that easy. Let's jump in we were talking about healing and the different journeys that people take on their healing. And you were kind of asking and analyzing the question, is it that easy? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, because that's that's a huge one. And we see so much stuff, especially now. We've talked about social media before and like how big of an influence it is. And there's so many like small posts, just do this or just do that. And, you know, people are, especially now with all that's going on in the world, people are hurting. Right. And and we're all trying to find ways to heal and ways to cope and ways to to be better. Right. So I'm here in the States and I actually facilitate conversations with leaders of government organizations. And I've been doing that for the past couple of weeks on racial topics. Mm. And one of the first things I say with them is, you know, this is not a conversation about finding an action step. This is a conversation about how do we cope and heal? Right. So we're all in this space, especially now, of wanting to figure out healing and, and how do I do it? And I'm a visual person. So for me, the first thing I always think about is a picture. What is the picture? How can I, how can I understand it? And I think about an actual wound. Like when I was a kid and I would ride my bike, this happened. It's crazy. It happened twice. I have identical stars on both of my arms no um, <laughs> where I fell off my bike in the exact same corner as a kid, the exact same way, just on a different arm. And when I think about like that big gash in my arm, the first thing, the first step to healing is acknowledging I have a wound. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't pause and acknowledge that I'm hurting. Right. I'm just so in the in my routine. So in my habit, so in my comfort zone of just pressing on, of getting day by day, of check to check, of whatever the story is, that I don't actually pause and acknowledge like I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the first step for me in the healing process. And then, you know, the second step, and we've kind of talked about this with the, the car accident, right? right? I got hit by a car a few months ago going right into COVID quarantine. And When I got home later on after leaving the hospital, I couldn't stand. And for me, I'm like a super active person. Like I'm, I run, I I was riding a bike, you know, I 
played basketball for years and volleyball, all these things. I'm just a super active person. I, I enjoy it. So when I got home and I could not stand, I broke down crying. Mm-hmm. What it felt like was an attack on my identity. It felt like it was an attack on who I was, what I represented, the things I cared about. I felt like, you know, especially as a coach, right? As someone who's, you know, I wear it on my wrist, right? My affirmation bracelets say I'm in control, right? And I, I had those bracelets on at the moment where I was trying to, to get up and I couldn't. And I felt like I had lost everything. I felt like a hypocrite. I felt like, how can I teach people to take control? I'm, not, I'm out of control. I can't stand, right? And, and all these things, all these stories and stories and stories and negative talk to myself. And I realized that the problem had nothing to do with me being able to get up. The issue was the stories I was telling myself about that, right? So when we come to healing, a lot of times we don't realize just how simple it is when it comes down to that small thing, right? It's rarely the situation. It's not me falling off my bike as a kid in the gash. It's not me not being able to stand up. It's what am I telling myself that this means? It's what is the story around this? Right. So for me, not standing up is the story that I'm out of control. I'm, you know, I'm not able to do anything. I'm, I'm losing my future. I can't. And all these, all these things. Right. So it came down to what's the story? What's the truth? And how do I find balance and love and compassion for myself in the middle of those? Mm-hmm. I have two questions from this. I wrote down injuries and I wrote down narratives because I want to know the injuries just so Mm -hmm. that I can kind of wrap my head around what actually happened. And then I'd love to know or have you elaborate on the narratives that you were actually telling yourself at this point that you had to work through. Yeah. So the actual like getting hit by a car injuries, is Mm -hmm. that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually, I bought a bike on Tuesday. We had just gone into quarantine and I went out Wednesday morning for my christening ride the no absolutely way. first ride of the bike and i made it three blocks from home and got hit crossing the street so it's just, it's it's exactly what you picture in like the movies when like someone in new york is like delivering something and a taxi driver hits them and they fly up the windshield and oh off into my the street. gosh matt it was it's exactly that <laughs> Okay, so then fast forward, you like, did you break anything? Was it internal damage? Did you have organ damage? Anything like that? So I have some shoulder and neck pain. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of bad bone bruising, some bad ankle issues that I'm still working through mm-hmm. physically, but overall, I'm okay. Okay. Right? Nothing broke. Good. Nothing, nothing pierced, nothing punctured, nothing yeah. bled. Did you see it coming? Yeah. Okay. And I've heard that that's worse. I, yeah, because then you're not so gummy and floppy, right? Because you, don't brace for it. Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh Thank my gosh. Go. I won't put you through living through that again. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's go to the narratives then. So you were talking about how you mentioned that you're an active person, but now you couldn't stand and that you felt like it was an attack on your identity. So what narratives were you struggling through at that time that you felt like not being able to stand or the fact that you couldn't do what you were usually doing was an attack on your identity. Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? And it it wasn't anything that was long lasting, right? It was, it's something that started in the moment. It was a weed that sprouted because of where I was, mm-hmm. right? And for me, as, like I said, as someone who's who teaches staying in control, who teaches controlling your narratives, who teaches telling story, and for me to be in this space and those be my, the, those be the first stories I tell myself 
I'm worthless. I'm losing my, my value, right? I'll never be the same person again. I'm all these like things that I was starting to say. And this is, this is not a long overdrawn out period of time, right? This is 30 minutes. And I'm telling myself these things and I'm like, ah, oh, I can't, I can't believe that this is me. I can't believe, how could I be so stupid? Why would I do this? I knew it was raining. I shouldn't have rode my bike outside. Like, and I'd start self-blaming, mm -hmm. right? And that's what a lot of us do when we go into, when we deal with, and this is, this counts as trauma, right? When we count, when we deal with traumas, we start blaming ourselves for it. I should have known better. I should have done something different. Mm -hmm. Then I start questioning my value, right? I'll never be the same again, right? How, how could I, right? This is, I, I can't be this effective teacher and communicator. I can't even get up, right? So those are what we tend to do is I question my value and I start blaming myself. Mm -hmm. And I had to, I had to really take some time that day and pause that cycle. Like I said, acknowledge the hurt. I had to, I had to say this was more painful than I expected it to be. Right. I, we go into things a lot of times and we deal with situations where it's like, Oh, it was just that. Oh, it was just a, a hit bike. It was just an accident. Right. It was just, you know, someone said this to me about how I look. Someone talked about my weight like this. Or it was just, you know, they didn't mean it, right? We're together. So it's not rape. It's, you know, when we go into all these, like, we deal with trauma, we try to give ourselves softeners to get through it. And I had to give myself the permission to hurt mm -hmm. and say, hey, this hurt and it sucks. And I'm sad and I'm angry. And I don't want to stay here forever. So I need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounded that because this was in March, it sounds like you're very, very well equipped with some thinking strategies or some logic behind how you can actually take ownership in how you're feeling. Yeah. What got you to that state of mental and emotional awareness? Time, right? So I've been in this work for years at this point. Mm -hmm. So where it would have maybe taken me weeks or months, I can do it in a day. Yeah. Right. And I can I can acknowledge my feelings because one of the biggest things that I've learned that's been the most valuable is the art of affectionate detachment, of having empathy and compassion, but understanding how to put things in their place. Right. And this is so important, you know, in the work I'm in, you know, important for parents, important for all of us. Right. As we deal with friends, we build relationships because we can take stuff on. And we can put put pressures on our backs mm -hmm. when you start carrying stuff that doesn't belong to us. And a lot of times, even these negative stories, a lot of this self-talk, it doesn't belong to us because that's not how we were made. That's not who we are. Our value is so strong and our potential is limitless. Mm -hmm. So these negative stories, they don't belong to me. And I know that. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I'm able to separate myself and my ego. I'm able to be affectionate with my emotions show compassion to how I'm feeling, but understand it's, it's not part of me. It doesn't dictate who I am, right? When I think about identity, which we, we commented on a little while ago, and it's kind of the focus of my work now. When we go in, for example, if I was to talk about like a mother, I've met so many women who become mothers and now that's all they say they are. Mm -hmm. I'm just a mom. Oh, I can't do that because the baby needs this. I can't, I would never, because the kids need this and they lose sight of who they are in their role and they end up forgetting their identity, 
right? So one of the biggest things, like I said, our affectionate detachment allows me to maintain my identity, whoever it is I created myself to be, right? Because I also have control over that. So I create who I am and I protect it fiercely against anything that tries to destroy it. Oh, I love this. <laughs> okay, we have to back up though, because okay, let's do it. there is a lot that came about in your life to bring you into any sort of coaching role or have any interest in coaching role. So we have to back up years. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> I'm not going to give away too much. You're going to do this. But I'd love <laughs> to talk about how depression and gratitude for the dark places that you've been have really laced throughout your story. Oh, that is so, that's so good and true and real and appreciated. Um, depression has been a big part of my story. And, you know, the more I learn about myself and my family and my ancestry, I realize how big depression is to my lineage. You know, I'm half black and I'm half Palestinian, both cultures that come from slavery, both cultures that have to deal with resilience, both cultures that have dealt with fighting to be seen and be heard and having to suppress and, and look over things, right? So mm -hmm. for me, I've dealt with depression personally two big times. I've, I've had my waves throughout life, but two big noticeable moments. Um, one was with my spiritual mentor passed away unexpectedly. And then the second was after a bad relationship. Um, not a bad relationship. I took it, I took it hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was a great person. It just didn't work out. Right. And I I created expectations that were unable to be fulfilled. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's my own, that's on me, right? Mm -hmm. And I have to be mm -hmm. accountable for that at the time. So yeah, depression was big. And so I have a background in space flight. Right. I have a background working for a space agency here in the States. And that was kind of the that was the vision. Right. I just worked doing, you know, rocket science and all these cool things. And I'll eventually move up the ranks and retire at some point mm -hmm. um, until I couldn't get out of bed. And I remember those moments where I would like we talked about earlier, we can mask our pain in routine. And when my routine kind of got taken away, right? I had some time off work. I had nothing to mask the pain anymore. And I was like, oh shoot, this is not, this is not every other day. Um, so I was laying in, actually on the couch in my living room and binge eating Oreos, binge watching YouTube, Oreos. double stuff, right? Oh, double obviously stuff. double stuff with the tops off, smush them together, make a quad. Oh yeah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Who even buys single stuffs? They're, those are the crazy people. Um, okay, so you're binge watching, what were you binge watching? Just YouTube video, like music videos, like random stuff, mm -hmm. like cooking, like random stuff, right? Just mindless, not, mm -hmm. even, not even selecting anything, just whatever comes up next. And what happened was, what came up next was a video that changed me. And it was a coach. I had never heard of a coach before mm -hmm. prior to this moment. I didn't even know it was a thing. And, and I knew no one in the industry, like it is not in my vision. So it came up and there's this guy, right? That's all he is to me. And he's talking to this lady and he's just asking her questions. And these questions get my attention. 
which is unexpected because I'm in this mode of just mindless, zoned out, sad depression. And it gets my attention. And that's the first thing. And it's like, okay, what, what is this? So I start looking at it. And then I start listening to the questions he's asking and they trigger something in me. And that is the second and biggest part of the story is that when you're in a depressive state, you're not, you're usually not feeling much, right? You feel numb. So to feel something was already a shock, but to feel something from a stranger who's not even talking to me, I was like, what is going on? What is this? What, what is this? So I end up figuring out and finding out that this is coaching. This is a live session of a coaching session. And I'm, I'm super intrigued. So I go down the rabbit hole of like figuring out what is coaching and what is he doing? And how did, how did you do that? How did you ask that question? How did you know what to ask? Anyway, all these like crazy thoughts. Mm. So in the process of learning more about coaching, I end up figuring out kind of who I am again, right? And reclaiming my voice and, and reclaiming my power. And without intention, I end up becoming a coach, right? It's, it was not my goal. My goal was, I just want to be okay again, mm-hmm. right? I, I know that this isn't the life that I want. Like, I shouldn't be laying on this couch eating boxes of Oreos all day, like, and sad and thinking about killing myself. Like, I shouldn't live like this. So I just wanted to change that narrative. I wanted to change the story. And I ended up being certified as a coach. And when I got to that space, it was as if, you know, I, I imagine like when the queen knights someone over in England, mm-hmm. it was like when I got to that space of feeling good about who I was and realizing the potential we have and the power that we have, it was as if I felt knighted with this responsibility to now help other people. It was, it, it became who I needed to be. And I could no, I, I could no longer go backwards. Like it, it became a requirement for my life that, you know, now that I know this, I have to share it and I have to help because I know what that pain is like. And I know what that hurt is like and that hopelessness is like. And it was like, and with that new awareness, I could look around and see how many of my friends were hurting and I could see how my family was hurting. Yeah. And we had gotten to the, in the mode of, like we talked about just going through the routine, going through the norm with me, my mom, my dad, like my friends, everyone. When I came back from my retreat where I did the training, I looked at everyone so differently and I saw how clear the hurt was on people. And it became a mission that, you know, there I need to do something, right? Obviously I'm not Superman or God, but I can make a difference. I can make an impact. I can, if I can change one person, if I can help one person not jump off the building, mm-hmm. my life is worth it. Oh, totally. Yeah. I have a question for you about God. You just said the word mm. God, and I would like for you to elaborate a bit on where a hatred towards God came from for you in this time. Yeah. That's so big. I did. I hated God for years, mm-hmm. right? And, and I grew up in a Christian home, right? I grew. I actually became a minister, right? So I had a really close external relationship with God, and 
just like I did in the relationship, I created these expectations of what God was supposed to do and what God was supposed to look like and how I was supposed to feel in relationship with God. I had my own definitions for everything. Yeah. And like with any expectations, those usually aren't what happens, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I lost my spiritual mentor, who was like a father to me unexpectedly, maybe I can backtrack a little bit. So I'm from the West Coast of the States, um, California. I currently live on the East Coast of the States in Virginia. Um, So I moved in eighth grade from California to Virginia to a whole new scene, to a whole new world, all alone, just the only child, me and my mom. And when I got here, there was one person who kind of took me under his wing, which was the person I'm talking about. And he helped me grow and like learn about God. We, he was a bodybuilder. So we would train and work out together. And, you know, we just spent so much time together. And when he unexpectedly passed away, I had no one else. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I felt alone and I reached out to other people that I knew, like other spiritual men, you know, trying to find kind of a similar relationship, you know, obviously it's not going to be the same, but to feel loved by someone again, to feel like I was connected to someone, you know, we could build and camaraderie again. And I had a really hard time doing that. And because I was looking for spiritual support and I was unable to find it, what I told myself was God doesn't want me. Hmm. Just like we talk about with the story of the, the car accident, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not what's actually happening. It's the story we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. The story I told myself was, you know, I'm reaching out. I'm looking for help. I'm looking for support. I'm looking to connect with people. And if God loved me, he would give that to me. If God loved me, he would show up. And because I couldn't find it, I said, obviously, I'm not the kind of person that God wants. And I'm not the kind of person who deserves God's love. And it went into this, what I can say now was kind of like a hatred, but it was more so just a disappointment, Mm -hmm. right? I was disappointed in what I thought my relationship with God was. And it took the next couple years of my life going through relationships, finding myself, right? And, and figuring out all this process, all the stuff we've already talked about, mm-hmm. doing all that to realize God was there the whole time. Yeah. And I just wasn't looking. But I had to go through the process of, and it's very much so prodigal son-esque for those who have Christian backgrounds. I have a Christian background and there's this... Uh, account of the prodigal son who leaves the house and finds himself like in the squalor, like rolling around in the pigs and, and broke and poor and hungry and just completely down and out. And then he realizes that he could just go back home to his dad. Right. And he doesn't have to do everything alone. Mm -hmm. And I, I went through the same process of having to realize that originally I did not have a relationship with God, although I was a minister. What I had was an external relationship with the people who served God around me. Mm -hmm. And I had to take the time to actually build that relationship again with God and do that on my own and do that in my way and do that without the pressures of people I know and do that without thinking, what is my parents going to say? And what are my friends going to say if I think something differently? What are, what's the world going to say if I believe that this is true and it's not what you believe? And I had to go through that process of really rebuilding like from the ground up. Who do I think God is? Mm -hmm. And if I think that's true, how does that impact my relationship with him? If, If I think that this is the God I serve, 
then one of the two things can't be right. Either the story I told myself a few years ago or my definition. I have to pick. And I had to realize that my story was wrong. Well, even where you mentioned that you felt not wanted or unseen by, you know, who you would define as God, who God is to you, the emotions associated with that are so deep. Like those are deeply rooted. In your journey, yeah. have you been able to kind of do that deep dive into where you think that has come from? Like those deeply rooted, unwanted feelings? Mm. Oh, yeah. So that for me stems to like multiple places um at least it used yeah, to yeah, right yeah <laughs> um so both of my parents did drugs growing up so i'm a proud crack baby i thank them for that actually i think they did just the right amount of cocaine to like make me smart and like emotionally intelligent i feel like one more hit and i would have gone off the deep end but yeah so my my dad was a drug dealer growing up and mm -hmm. he's actually palestinian mm -hmm. he's an immigrant Mm -hmm. So he came over here and he was trying to make life the best way he could, which came from doing some things he didn't want to do. So he did those. He was in and out throughout my childhood in jail or traveling or all mm -hmm. kinds of things to pick up the slack. Then my mother had to work multiple jobs to take care of herself and this mm -hmm. small child. So she's gone constantly. Right. I'm a young kid in Southern California, high crime, low income area, trying to figure out who am I? Right. So I, I had these, these two big figures in my life that both at the time felt like they didn't have time for me. Yeah. Right. And I needed to prove myself to someone yeah. and not to mention, I really loved hamburgers and fries. So it was easy for me to gain weight. <laughs> okay. um, so I had a hard time making friends as a kid because I was kind of chubby or big boned or husky, whatever the right, mm -hmm. the, whatever the loving parents say. Um, so yeah, all, all three of those things combined as well as, you know, even starting back then trying to figure out who I believed in and, and what that felt like, what is, what is God and who is he and how do we connect and all that stuff coming together was kind of the undercurrent. Right. And we, I talk about that in terms of like when we look at the ocean and sometimes on the surface it can seem so calm but that undercurrent can rip you down mm -hmm. um those things were kind of the undercurrent to my life at the moment and with any opportunity that i could find right because if all i know is pain i tend to look for pain because that's yeah. my comfort zone any opportunity i could find to ignite or reawaken those hurts i would pounce on I was so excited to hurt all the time and I would find them constantly. Right. Cause mm -hmm. whatever we look for is what we find, mm -hmm. whether it's true or not. <laughs> yeah. That subconscious mind is a powerful thing. Yeah. And conscious. Well, it's more, I think in that case, like you wouldn't just look for the hurt super consciously. That's more of that subconscious routine and that patterning that, that you had developed yeah. ultimately, but so hurtful. And I'm, when I see the work that you do now and I see you as the man that you are, I just I'm I'm just so blown away how you've been able to share your story. I mean, and I mean we're literally still just kind of scratching the surface. There's so much more to what makes you who you are, you know? And you know, that's one of the biggest things I had to learn though. And I think that's why I'm able to share my story now and why 
I'm able to own every single part of it. Yeah. I mean, regardless of how uncomfortable it is from my parents doing drugs to being molested by a babysitter to, I can't even remember everything at this point. But all of these things, what I had to learn was that I can't love who I am and hate how I got here. Oh, I love that. Right? If I can't yeah. love where I am in my life and hate the hate the stairs that led me to this point. Mm-hmm. Those were all valuable, valuable things that I've learned so much from, which is why when you, you brought up depression, I said, oh, that's so appreciated. Like, I thank you for bringing that up because it's it's – it's a valuable part of my story that I learned so much from. Just like the relationship where my heart got broke, I learned so much mm. about myself, about relationships, about everything from that. And if ever we want to be in an empowered space where I own the person I am in this moment, unapologetically, I am proud of me, it is a requirement that you accept your story. I could talk to you for weeks, Matt. This is wild. I've got a couple things that I've written down for you here that I wanted to touch on. Right when we first sat down, we were talking about the fact that you are covering some racial topics with some big leaders right now, and you're helping facilitate those conversations. I wanted to link that back to your own story and your own healing. Are you continuing in this or in these conversations, are you continuing to find growth and healing in those conversations or the opportunity to grow? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and and this is just part of who I've become at this point, right? And and I think I've mentioned it a few times that, you know, I just believe in the potential of us all. Right. Mm-hmm. I believe at the core of us all, we want the same thing. We want love. We want peace. We want joy. We want to make sure our families are okay. Like we want we want to enjoy life. Like we want the same things. Yeah. Right. And I watched this. I, actually, I had a conversation earlier today with a friend of mine and he told me about a video he saw where a mother was pleading to, you know, some government court or something about her son, who's a police officer. And she said, I'm so fearful that he's in this line of work. You know, I'm scared that he puts his life on the line every single day. And I, I don't know if he'll make it home. This is a white mother. And Then a black mother comes up right after. And she says, I feel the same way about my son and it has nothing to do with his job. And you know, when we can connect and find common ground and and realize that we we want the same things, right? We want want that that love and we want that compassion. We can lead with love and I can lead with intention, not Mm -hmm. trauma. And when I can lead with my strengths, not my weaknesses. I think that we have such amazing potential mm-hmm. to to grow and to heal together, right? Because like we like we talked about, for me at least, I with my Christian background, you know, I believe that we came from the same place. I believe that we all are cousins, really, right? And you know, and Jane, uh, I can't think of her last name, who does all the racial experiments. She's amazing. Um, but one of her things is she says, I'm not white. I'm just light black. <laughs> like my family's from Africa too, just like yours is, except they moved to Europe and there's less fun. And, you know, I became paler in complexion and you did it. And, you know, this is a, a older white woman and she tells this story often. And it's, and it's true. And I believe it at least where, you know, we all come from the same place and we have so much in common. We're all people. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, we have the same amount of our eyes and mouth yeah. and we speak and we we hug and we love and we make love and we have children and we eat and they, like, we do all the same things. So for me, with that perspective, 
it is impossible to have these conversations without growth and without hope because, mm-hmm. because I know who we are. Mm-hmm. And often the point of the conversation is just raising awareness for other people, helping them see the same thing. Yeah. Capitalizing that with being a good human and seeing the best in others, like just continue to perpetuate goodness and kindness and love in this world. Yeah, absolutely. I have a question about balancing practices and that does not mean like on your hands, like doing handstands. (laughs) (laughs) I mean more like if life gets crazy for you and you've got lots on the go and you're feeling a little bit off center, what personal practices do you have in your life that help you reset? Mm, That's good. I pause um, Mm -hmm. without apology. Mm. Right. And that's a huge one for me because I know that I cannot be my best self if I don't take care of myself. So it's because of my love for the person or for others that sometimes I have to enforce my boundaries. Right. And a lot of times we think of boundaries in terms of taking away from someone or doing less or separation. But in reality, People create boundaries to maintain relationships, not to end them, Mm -hmm. right? So whenever I'm in that space, I pause unapologetically. I check in with who I am. And I actually just had this new thought on self-care today that I'm actually writing about uh, after we hang up, (laughs) um, that this this idea of toxic self-care. And I've never heard those words before. I've never said those words before or seen them anywhere, but... I truly believe that it's a thing because what I realized the other day is that self-care requires a vision. And if I don't have vision, I cannot appropriately care for myself to get there, right? Because self-care without vision, all it's doing is keeping me in my comfort zone. All it's doing is patting me on my back and making me feel okay in the moment. So I have to have a vision of where I'm going. And the way that I kind of think about that is an athlete training for a contest, but doesn't know what the contest is. How do I train? Am I pole vaulting? Am I swimming? Am I running? Am I riding a bike? I don't know. I can't appropriately prepare myself. I can't take care of myself if I don't know where I'm going, Mm -hmm. if I don't know what I have coming up, right? So for me, self-care is the, and this is kind of my new definition that I've created. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's not a thing. It's the routine. So it's the routine of consistently checking in with myself, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, checking in with my habits and behaviors, making sure they're aligned with where I'm going and making adjustments when necessary. So for me, if I operate under that new definition of these things, what it means is I have to know my my vision first. I have to know my goal, my target, wherever I'm going. And then self-care sometimes is uncomfortable, right? And I, I think about a massage, like my shoulder hurts right now. And we go get these deep tissue massages and the person says, it's gonna hurt. And we say, okay, go ahead anyway, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that in the end, sometimes I have to do something uncomfortable to get the result I want. So part of my self-care is sometimes stretching myself, right? Sometimes it's, it's having uncomfortable conversations with my coaches and my mentors. Sometimes it's putting myself out. Sometimes it's saying, I'm sorry, right? Sometimes it's apologizing. And, and whatever the case is, mm-hmm. for me, when I want to find balance, it requires knowing where I'm going and knowing who I am and making sure that I'm the person who deserves and am able to accomplish my goal. Mm-hmm. Right. And often when I when we come out of balance of those things, 
is where we start feeling chaos or feeling chaotic or feeling tired or overwhelmed or stressed or anxious. So when I can align who I am with where I'm going, that's the goal, right? And I, th I think you kind of asked some of the practices. So a couple of things I do just really quickly. Um, I have a habit of four things every day where I read, think, question, listen, right? And these are my daily habits that keep me on target. And one of my favorite examples is uh, of Max, John Maxwell. He talks about chopping down a tree. And he says, if you were just to do a couple swings a day, just a couple swings, just maybe for just four swings, not 40 swings, not 400 swings, not 4,000 swings. If you, if you just did your four swings a day, eventually you'd knock that tree down. Um, so what are your four things? And for me, those are them, right? So every morning on my calendar, I read, and then I journal a little bit, then I question, then I think, then I listen. And I have my habits set in place to keep me balanced and to keep me aligned. Because one of the biggest things I learned uh, a couple years ago is that there's three versions of us. There's the way I think about myself. There's the way I feel about myself. And then there's the way I present myself to the world. Mm -hmm. And often those three things are completely different, right? Sometimes if I, if I have a past of pain and trauma, I'll have this super courageous mask and shell on where no one would ever know. Like I'm always okay and I'm perfect and it's great and I'm good. Let's keep going. And that's how I present myself to the world. But inside, the way I feel about myself, I feel worthless. I feel less than, I feel hopeless. But when I think about me or misalign, mm -hmm. and the goal is how do I line those three up? And how do I just be one cohesive person? How do I redefine my identity? And how do I have it become so strong where I'm able to be courageous around it, where I'm able to live so unapologetically and I'm able to conquer my goals? So that's kind of it for me, yeah? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's not a question. That's not like a yeah question mark. That's like a hell yeah. That is so good. I love that so much. Every everything about that. Those are those are great. Um, I've never I've never had a guest answer something like that about about having those pillars that they just implement into their day and that have kind of helped carry them through as just this a consistent practice. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, if ever there's like a moments of of high anxiety or. Mm. You know, and, and I'm also very conscious of being accountable. And I think I, we've mentioned that before, but even when I, when it comes to stress, when it comes to being anxious, when it comes to being overwhelmed, I don't, I don't even allow them to exist for me mm. most of the time because the question I ask my clients is that I ask myself too, right? So when I'm stressed, I say, how am I stressing myself? Not why am I stressing myself? Not only do I put a spotlight on what's happening, but I show myself ways to change it. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm stressing myself by putting too much on my plate, I know the answer is, okay, maybe I need to delegate yeah, something. Yeah, pull back. Maybe I need to space things out. Maybe yeah. I need to do something a little different. So when I ask myself even those questions of how am I overwhelming myself? Mm -hmm. How am I stressing myself out? Yeah. I give myself opportunity to answer them. And, you know, one of my favorite quick, quick things that I do is uh, transition meditations. So I don't know if you, you know about this or not, but I'll just share anyway. Everything in life is transitioning, mm -hmm. right? Whether we're, we're doing this podcast right now and it's super amazing and then we're going to hang up and do other stuff for the day, 
right? We're going to transition to something else. And then maybe I'll check emails and I transition into email mode and I get a phone call and I transition into phone call mode. Then I have to go to the store and I transition into driving mode and I transition into shopping mode. And life is just so full of transitions. And a lot of times what happens is we'll have one really bad moment and we'll allow it to snowball through our entire day if we don't take control over our transitions, right? So say I have a really bad phone call this morning, but I understand the power of transitions and I can pause in the middle. I can realign between before I go to my next task. And then I, re, I, I have power over my day again, right? Mm-hmm. So I stop in the transition and I'll do like a 30 second meditation. And Brendan Burchard talks about this, his RMT, release meditation technique, where all I do for 30 seconds is I sit, I focus on my breathing, and I just repeat the word release. And I allow myself to release whatever that tension is, whatever that thing is, whatever that stress is, that frustration is. And and I focus on it. And then I focus on the parts of my body where I'm holding it. Maybe it's in my shoulders. And I I start commanding my shoulders. Okay, release. Mm. Release this. Release. And I go into that practice and for 30 seconds, not long, right? Just during my transition. Mm -hmm. And then I'm able to reclaim my day. That is a fabulous practice. Thank you for sharing that. I can imagine that there's a lot of listeners like, yeah, oh, I like this. (laughs) I'm going to do that now. (laughs) It it works. I'll tell you it works. I bet it does. I'm going to try it. Um, Matt, Mm -hmm. I have three safe haven style questions for you. You ready? Oh, I'm excited. Okay, here we go. I'll try. (laughs) You'll do great. I know you will. (laughs) What are you most proud of? Being. Um, And that's, that, that might be specific to me for having a past or a history of wanting to not be. Mm. So in this moment and space in my life, every day I'm proud that I make the choice to be. Oh, I love that. And I'm so happy that you are being, let me tell you. Oh my gosh. You are a force. What would you like to be known for? Mm. The the thing that instantly came to mind was compassion. Mm. Right. And and in me saying that out loud, now I have accountability with myself to do it because I know that I'm 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 person, right? And I'm not, I'm always messing up and making mistakes. So now saying that out loud, I have accountability to be much more compassionate moving forward because that is something I want to be known as. I want to be known as like this is the safe haven. I'm I really work hard to be that safe space mm-hmm. and to have that place where someone can feel like they can share without without justification or without explanation and without judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I want to be remembered as, you know, and I, I think back to my spiritual mentor, and this is one of the things I loved about him is that every person knew him and loved him because he was always himself, mm-hmm. regardless of what that meant. Right. If he didn't know something, he said, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Like, or if he did some, if he did know something and saw that you were doing something incorrectly, he would adjust you. He would help correct you, but with love and people always loved who he was up until that last day because they always felt safe to talk to him and to come to him no matter what the situation was so for me it's that it's that compassion being that Mm -hmm. safe space for people to come to Mm -hmm. if you had a message for the world right now what would it be be patient that was fast 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's love it. That, because that is the issue for so many of us yeah. is that we want stuff so quick mm-hmm. and we, we don't give ourselves, especially the patience, right? This I'm in this space, able to have this conversation today. I could not have had it five years ago. I could not have had it last year. And even though I wanted to have this conversation years ago, I, I knew the potential inside of me was limitless. I knew that I had such amazing things to share, but I was not prepared to do it. I was not in the mental space, emotional space. I could not be this person I am today if I didn't give myself patience and grace through the process mm-hmm. and understanding just how important that is. One of my, my favorite kind of things or awareness points is, you know, mercy is when we when we don't get what we deserve. Justice is when we do get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. And a lot of times we need to give ourselves more grace. We need to give ourselves more patience and more love through our processes as we grow because we have so much to offer every single one of us. You know, and I I I say this to whoever's listening right now, like this is to you. Like there is so much to offer. And the world is waiting on it, but don't let the pressure of that try to make you rush through your process. Whatever you need, you need to honor that. You need to acknowledge it. Just, you know, from our very first part of this conversation, we talk about healing, right? I have to understand I have a wound. I have to say, oh man, something hurts. And then choose to do something about it, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah, just just be patient with yourself. Mm -hmm. Give yourself more love. Mm -hmm. Give the world more love, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. We need to know all of your socials. Where can people find you? Uh, it's the same everywhere. So mm-hmm. it's Coach Matthew Hayes or CoachMatthewHayes.com, Coach Matthew Hayes on Instagram and Facebook. And I will have that linked at the bottom of the podcast notes for anyone listening. So that'll be easy enough to find. So that's great. Awesome. Thank you so much. This thank has been a, an amazing space. And, you know, I know that people listening have been impacted and touched. So I mm-hmm. want to give you gratitude for creating it and allowing it however it flows. You know, Cause I know that this takes courage. It takes courage to create these spaces, not knowing where they'll go. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. I receive. <laughs> yes. Matt, thank you so much for opening up with me and for sharing so much of your story with me here on the safe Haven. I appreciate you and your time so much to everyone listening. I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform and I am committed to diversifying my content to create an inclusive space with intention. If this episode has intrigued you or made you think about your own patterns and healing journey, please screenshot while you're listening, send it to all your friends and share it on your social media accounts. Be sure to tag us so that we can personally thank you for it. Try something new, ask questions, get curious about your own healing journey Take the deep dive into thinking what it is that your soul really craves from this life. And I will talk to you next week.